Let's turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And we'll start with verse 17. Philippians 3, 17, 18, and 19. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. The Word of the Lord. Um, the title of the sermon is The Christian Highway. We could call it the King's Highway, Jesus' Highway. But Christianity is like a highway. It's a highway in the middle of two great ditches. One ditch on one side, one ditch on the other side. And in the middle, you have this road that's uh, firm and it's all marked out really well. In one ditch, we call it the ditch of legalism. There's another ditch on the other side of the Christian highway, and it's the ditch called antinomianism. The Apostle Paul in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, he's been addressing this ditch called legalism. Remember, we've said the legalist says something like this. He says, you stand justified by God by faith plus works. Your standing before God, your acceptance before God is based on faith plus circumcision or faith plus some keeping of the law. So the legalist is making justification a process, a process of faith and works. And so you really never know, since it's a process, you really never know whether you're acceptable or not. Because how many works do you need? When, does, when do we find that out? Yet the Christian on the Christian highway knows that justification before God is by grace alone. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it's apart from any works of the law. In fact, our shorter catechism says it's not a process that we're justified by faith, but it's an act of God's free grace. It's an act. It's God the judge standing before us or sitting before us at the desk and hitting down the gavel and saying, you are justified by faith. It all happens by faith in Christ alone. He pardons all our sins. He accepts, God accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. Let me see if we can take it, press it home one more point, just to make sure we get this. In John 6, 26-29, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Remember, He took the bread, He took the fish, and He made bread. Out, I, I like what Arthur Pink says. He made bread out of bread and He made fish out of fish. And so after he's finished, all the people there, they go, let's take this guy and make him our king. And he doesn't want that to happen. He's not going to be their earthly king. And so he withdraws from them up to a mountain. But before he does, he sends the disciples to get into a boat. And they're going across the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is praying and they're going across the boat in the boat. And there's a terrible storm. And Jesus walks out to them. He calms the sea and he gets in the boat. And they get to the other side. 
And the next day the crowd, well, I mean, they really liked the way that fish tasted and they really liked the way that bread tasted. And so they're looking for Jesus and they catch up to him the next day. And Jesus says this to them. You are seeking perishable bread from me. You're seeking the tasty bread I made yesterday. He says, this is what you're seeking from me. And you're not seeking from me the bread that endures to eternal life, which I can give you. What you want is something that will perish, but I have something that I can give you that's eternal. And the crowd says this, hey, what shall we do, Jesus, so that we may work the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God. And can you hear them all just their mouths dropping open? Tell us the one thing we need to do. I can just hear the rich young ruler going, look, I've obeyed the fifth commandment. I've honored and obeyed my parents. I've, I've not committed murder. I've not committed adultery. And we can go through all this, the rest of the six commandments. I've done them all. What's one thing do I need to do? And this is what Jesus said, tongue in cheek. <laughs> this is the work of God. Oh, what is it? That you believe in Him whom the Father has sent. Well, there's no work at all. <laughs> you have to believe. It's, a, it's an empty hand. I want you to do this work. Empty hands. No tools in your hands. No nails in your hands. No building going on in your hands. I want you to believe in the one the Father has sent, which is happens to be me. No works, only believe. So the Christian on the Christian highway receives the righteousness of what Jesus has done in his life on the cross, receiving that it's in his bank account. And now by faith, he's acceptable to God. But the ditch of legalism says, listen, surely there's got to be a work. That's this one ditch. The ditch of legalism says, surely you've got to do something. Well, on the other hand, as you walk down the, the King's highway or the Christian highway, There's a ditch called antinomianism. Now, I know that might freak somebody out, but anti means against the law. Easy, against the law. And so as the legalist wants to add works to faith, the antinomian says this, it's by faith alone, apart from any works, therefore there must be no reason to have any works at all in the Christian life, whatever. I can just take the law of God, shove it out the door because I do not lead to the law at all. And so that's the argument of the antinomian. Grace alone, faith alone, no works. Therefore, there are no works required in the Christian life. I can still hear, I can still hear R.C. Sproul when I was young and I first read R.C. Sproul and he was saying, you can sin, I can sin all I want and still have remission. That's the Christian life. I can sin all I want and still have forgiveness of my sin. And so it's so easy for us to jump to an opposite extreme. Well, if I'm not saved by works, then works must not be part of this Christian life at all. And that is wrong. Well, how are we as Christians to, who are on the highway, how are we to respond to this? And there's two responses I want to give to you this morning in this introduction. First, the antinomian does not take into account our union with Christ. I'm going to, let, me, let me say it again. The antinomian does not take into account our union with Christ. Let's, this is a little aside, but as I'm, I'm, I've been asked to preach the sermon for Grant's ordination. And there's something that I want to say. And one of the things I want to say is every sermon has to have some kind of connection to Jesus Christ. Or you haven't preached. If you just tell people what to do, that's not the gospel. 
You've got to have a connectedness to Jesus Christ or you can't even obey. We have to think about our union with Jesus Christ. Second, the antinomian doesn't take into account where works fits into our salvation. Let's start with number one. The antinomian does not take into account our union with Jesus Christ. Now, we've looked in the past. I remember right before Steve Crutchfield died, he discussed Romans 6 with me. And Romans 6 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? And the antinomian would say, absolutely, we can sin all we want and God's grace will increase. That's the answer of the antinomian. But that's not the answer of Paul. Paul says, God forbid. (laughs) No, God forbid, may it never be. Here's the answer. The answer is, do you not know that you are in union with Jesus Christ? That's Romans 6. Jesus died and you were in Him when He died. Jesus was buried and you were with Him when He was buried. Jesus is raised from the dead and you were with Him in that. And Jesus is now, and we'll use Ephesians chapter 2, He's seated at the right hand of God and you're in Him too. Spiritually speaking, you're in union with Jesus Christ and because of that union, you're a new creature. You're not what you were anymore. You need, man, if there's anything... Pound that into your heart. You are not what you were. You are in union with Jesus Christ. And because of that union, you come before Him. You don't Sin doesn't look at you and say, you've got to do what I tell you to do now. No, Jesus comes to you and He says, I'm your King. You're in a whole new dominion. You're in a whole new realm. And I tell you what to do, and you love to do it. Now, I'm not saying we're not tempted. But I'm saying we're new creatures, and we have a new King. We live in a new kingdom. And we live for Him. Before, we were not in union with Christ, but now we are. And now we've been pardoned of all our sins. And we, because of this union we have with Christ, we have this new power working in us, because we're new creatures, to be set free from the power of sin. We're not going to be perfect in all of that. That's heaven. Perfection is heaven. But right now we have the Holy Spirit working in us because of our union with Christ. We have the Holy Spirit working in us that we might present our members, our eyes, our minds, our ears, our hands, our bodies to Him to live for Him. Sin comes and says, do what I want you to do. And you can say no. You can say no. And you can say yes to all those commandments that Jesus gives to us. We will not say, I can live loose to the law. But we will say, I will cling to the law and live according to that. The second response that we give to an antinomian is this. What is the place of works in the Christian highway? And here it is. The the antinomian is not reading his Bible very well when he sees that works don't matter at all. We've just seen that if a person is justified by faith, they're acceptable by faith in Christ apart from works. But that doesn't mean no works matter at all. You can go read Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we're saved by faith. This faith is given to us by God. And then in chapter 2 verse 10 it says that God has prepared works for us to do. We don't do works to be saved. We do works because we are saved. And our faith will express itself in love. Our faith will express itself in gratitude. Our faith will express itself in doing the will of God. Well, what will? Is, where is that found? Well, the will that we are to follow is found in the Ten Commandments, the law of God. We will obey the law of God. Let me give you an example. We read 
as we were going through our order of service, we talked about, uh, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then he gives the what? The Ten Commandments. What comes first? Salvation comes first. What comes first? Being moved out of misery, out of bondage, out of all this slavery, out of all this place, horrible pit called Egypt, and in through the Red Sea and out there to what? To a mountain where God says, writes on the Ten Commandments on some stone. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Hey, listen, here's how it works. Saved, saved, and brought into this this mountain, and God gives you the way to live in your new freedom that's yours. What's, what's freedom without laws? We all know that. Don't y'all all know that freedom without any law is called chaos? Freedom without any laws is absolute chaos. Don't we see that right now? We see absolute chaos in our country. Because people are going, fooey on those laws, I'll do what I want to. and I'll do. We see crazy stuff happening. But what God does, God gives us this freedom from our sin. He saves us into a new place. And then he says, here's how to live in your newfound freedom. Ten Commandments. This is exactly how to do it. He doesn't say, do this and I will save you. He says, I've saved you, now do this. That's how it works. And we cling on the Christian highway, on the King's highway, we cling to the law of God as we move towards heaven. So here we have these two responses to the antinomian. You and I were not saved by faith plus works. That's legalism. You and I were not saved by faith alone to sin and sin and sin. That's antinomianism. But you and I, we are saved by faith alone, and that faith is never alone. We have a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit going on. We're decreed, we're declared righteous, and then we have a work going on by the Holy Spirit to put sin to death and live to righteousness. How do we know that we have real faith? Well, it's, if you go run and, and read James chapter 2, it tells us that, that uh, Abraham... In, John, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says that he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How do you know that faith is real? How do you know it's living? Well, if you go run over to Genesis chapter 22, God tells him to go sacrifice his son on an altar, and he does it. And James says, that's living faith. It obeyed. Same thing happens with Rahab. How do you know that Rahab, her heart melted and she put her faith and trust in the one true and living God when nobody in Jericho did Well, how do you know? Well, she hid the spies. (laughs) That's what it says. She had a faith that lived, and that's what we're talking about today. Jesus says, if you say that you love me, you have to keep my commandments. Well, why such a big introduction? Because it's a temptation of every one of us on this highway. We're not talking about legalism right now, adding something to our justification, which is works. What we're talking about right now, it's a temptation Have you ever heard somebody say, I used to hear these people say, let's don't ask for permission, let's just ask for forgiveness. That is is the antinomian uh, impulse. (laughs) That's that's the antinomian impulse. I won't ask for forgiveness, I'll just ask for forgiveness, I won't ask for permission. There's commandments that I need to obey. So what we do is we obey those commandments on the road of our our Christian highway. But some in the, in the Philippian church have fallen into this ditch. And what they're doing is they're professing that they have faith in Christ, but they're sinning and they're sinning and they're sinning by their lifestyle. And the apostle is telling us here in these 
few verses, he tells us to adhere to good examples that are on the highway, to those who are professing their faith and living by the word of God. And he tells us to avoid bad examples who are professing faith in Jesus Christ and living in sin. That's what he's saying. That's the short version of it all. The apostle tells us to adhere to good examples. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. I'm not a legalist. I'm not an antinomian. I'm a person. I'm a person who's putting all my confidence in Jesus Christ. And I'm a person who is acceptable to God based on all my confidence in Jesus Christ. And I am a person who is being conformed to the image of Jesus' death. I'm going to reach out there. I'm going to walk in obedience to His commandments. Model your life after me. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me. Don't think he's too too, uh, smug yet, because he says, Just as I also am imitating Jesus Christ. So it's not follow me because I'm the greatest. It's follow me because I'm following the greatest. The apostle, think about this. Think about this. This man is, I wonder how many words Paul spoke in his life. You know, I got, I got my, this daughter right here when she's not feeling bad. This one right here, she can talk. She can speak. She, I love to go walk with her because she has words. And I love all of her words. I do. I love them all, Sela. And so I just wonder how many words did Paul speak in his life? How, he preached and he preached and he preached. For three years he preached in Ephesus. And so this man is preaching, preaching, preaching. And then at, at the end of all that preaching, he leaves and he writes them this letter, this little booklet called Philippians. And then they read it and they read it and they read it. And so they have nobody. They don't have anybody that are teaching the Old Testament to them. They're in Philippi. So they have all the words he's spoken. They have just a few words that he's written. And all they have also is his example. They have his example. And they're watching him. And he says, I'm not perfect. We've already saw that. But what he's doing is he's saying, follow my example and don't follow these examples of people who are falling in this ditch called antinomianism. Those who are professing their faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not seeking to be like him. The preacher, he's saying, the preacher and the member in the church must be not only somebody who hears things, not be somebody who writes things down, but somebody who lives these things out. And then he goes another step and he says this, don't just follow me as I follow Christ, but he says in verse 17, follow my example and follow others like me. Verse 17, observe not me alone, but observe those who have already joined with me. Now, we can go back to chapter 2 in Philippians and we can say, who was he really big on in chapter 2? Man, he talked a lot about Timothy. He called Timothy, he's he's my son in the faith. He's just like Jesus Christ. He puts others before himself. And then he talked about Epaphroditus. And he says some wonderful, wonderful words about him. Let me me read those for you real quick. Chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, remember these statements? My fellow worker, my soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Here's a great person to follow. Here's Timothy. Here's Epaphroditus. Not just me, but all of us follow our examples as well. 
Today, you and I, we don't have just one booklet. Think about it. Look at this. You get my little Bible here. One, two, three, four, five. Five pages. Five pages. These folks, we don't have five pages. We have a whole book. We have a book from Genesis to Revelation. We have all the complete Word of God, and it's here for us to read. And if you just read the 89, listen, there's just, there's a little lesson for you. 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read one chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all year long, you will read the Gospels four times through. All the four Gospels four times through. And guess what they tell you? They show you the model. They show you a pattern. They show you Jesus. They show you Jesus when He's born. They show you Jesus when He's uh, submitting to His parents. They show you Jesus when He's being baptized. All the things they show you. They show you how He lives. They show you how He spoke. They show you His miracles. And they show you all these ways to walk like Him. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing. But I have to say more. Because you see, just because we have the model in front of us in those 89 chapters... We need models in here. We need models that we can say, "Yep, there's Paul," but that's back in the six, that's back, you know, about sixty A.D. Timothy, Epaphroditus. That's long. We need people in here who are models. We need people who in here who are paradigms. We need people in here that we can look at and we can read. I need to look at you like I look at this page and be able to read you and see that you are a person who has put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I need to be able to read and look at you and see you're a book and I can follow you and I can walk with you and I can talk with you because you are showing me how to live the Christian life. I need you in my life. I need you to talk to me. I need those men to talk to me on Saturday morning. I need those Friday nights out there at Thomas's house. I need all these Bible studies with these girls. I need all this stuff because I need to read you and you need to read me. And I hope you're reading faith in Christ in me. And I need to read the faith that's in you, that's in Christ as well. What are people reading in you when they see you walk around at work? What are people reading? What are your children reading when they see you get up in the morning? What, are they, what do they see? What do they read? Every one of us knows that people are reading us. Do they see Jesus in us? The apostle also, he tells us not only to adhere to good examples, he tells us to avoid the bad ones. And the bad ones happen to be the antinomians. Look at verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Many are enemies. Apostles pointed this out before. Now he's going to point it out again. Now he's weeping over these enemies. Now, did you notice there's a difference? He's weeping over these enemies. Earlier in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he calls the legalist. He doesn't sound very like, much like he's weeping. <laughs> in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he calls the legalist dogs. That's pretty straightforward. He calls them evil workers and false circumcision. He tells us that the legalists who pervert the gospel are worthy to be anathematized, condemned. But here he speaks about these Arminians, these antinomians, sorry. Uh, he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies. That was a slip of the tongue, wasn't it? What's the difference? These are enemies of the cross of Christ in the church. That's the difference. They're in the church. 
These are folks, he weeps over them because they profess their faith in Jesus Christ and they're in the church. Well, they profess their faith in Jesus Christ and they're in the ditch and all the people who are up here on the highway see these folks and they see how they're living and by their life they deny what they believe. By the way they live, the sins that they're allowing, they're injuring people and this causes Paul to weep. Not only are they injuring people by what they do, but... He sees their souls in danger of destruction. So we have to look at these characteristics that are laid out in verse 19 of the antinomian. Let's look at four characteristics of the bad examples that you and I are not to follow. First, first thing he says there in verse 19, the antinomian, their end is destruction. The apostle sees in that congregation then and the congregation today, know, those who profess to know Jesus Christ and, the office, and occupy a seat in the church, yet deny by their lives their profession. No hope. Their end is destruction. Didn't we preach on that just a few weeks ago? We said that we talked about fiery hell. We talked about destruction is a place where there's agony, there's torment. We talked about Judas going to his own place, a place where he is, uh, his hell was a place of punishment fit for his sin. We talked about inescapable, irreversible punishment in this place of destruction. No hope for a person who professes faith in Christ and lives down in this ditch. Second, their God is their appetite. Well, we could probably preach a sermon on this. Their God is their belly. The bad examples, the antinomians, what do they do? Every one of us has somebody we serve. All of us serve something. And he's saying you either serve your belly, your pleasures, or you serve Jesus Christ. Now, we've said this before, and this is part, this is one of my, I have to be real careful. I can just get on the stump on this. But you and I, we serve Christ. We are in union with Christ, and He's our head, and we are the ones who love to serve Him. When, when Romans 6 talks about uh, being raised from the dead, it says that Jesus was raised from the dead to live to God. I love that. And you and I, we've been raised up, spiritually speaking, to live to God. But every one of us, if we're not living to God, we're living, he says here, their God is their appetite. What do I serve? The apostle just lays down a principle and he just goes on. Let me see if we can apply it just a little. Is my God sexual sin? Is my God slander and gossip? Is my God just not using Jesus' name at all? I just don't use His name at all. I just don't talk about Him at all. Is my God sleep and laziness? Is my God to gain success through any means necessary? If you see a person whose God is your be- their belly and bowing down to it, mark them out. Be careful about yourself. Third, their glory is in their shame. Bad examples, they lay aside God's commandments and they're governed by their appetites. And how do they glory? How do, how do people glory in their shame? Well, they have to rewrite their laws. That's what's going on, isn't it, today? We rewrite the laws. We call what we called good before. Now we call it evil and we call evil good. 
We rewrite the laws so that we can give ourselves a license to go 100 miles an hour in a 75 mile an hour speed limit. We write ourselves a new, we write, rewrite the laws. And, and one of the things that's really cool about being a Christian, and I, I want you to think about this. As a Christian, you're in union with Jesus Christ, and now you have this power, this this Holy Spirit wrought power to do what you ought to do. To do the Ten Commandments. You have this power to do the right thing. You have this new lease on life. You have a license to do the right thing. And it's just the opposite for the person who glories in their shame. They have to rewrite the laws and give themselves a license to do and to, to do whatever they want. But here's the, broad, here's the bad thing about all of this. No matter how many times we rewrite laws so that we can do what we want, and no matter how many people affirm us in doing whatever we want that's against God's law, we still have to deal with what it says in Romans 1, that we can't get away from the fact that we've been made in the image of God and we're worshiping ourselves and not God the Creator. We're all without excuse. We can't get away from that, no matter how many people affirm us. Well, finally, it says this, their minds are set on earthly things. This is the problem for the antinomian. They set their mind on earthly things. They come to church. They might have a credible profession of faith, but their minds are marked out by thinking on earthly things. Their likes, their dislikes, the direction of their life and the decisions that they make are not based on the Word of God on the Christian highway, but they're based on thinking their own thoughts. Let me, let me leave you with two applications. To the Christian who is seeking to adhere to good examples, these are the enemies of the cross of Christ, antinomians. A mind set on earthly things, a mind gone astray from the one true and living God is the most powerful influence for your spiritual disaster. Now, I'm going to be really careful here, but I would say I didn't have anybody telling me not to follow my friends at church who were professing faith in Christ, but living over here doing whatever they wanted. And it was disastrous for me for a while. You and I, we are called to follow the examples on the highway. We're called to follow the Pauls and the, Pet- and the Peters and the Timothys and the Epaphroditus's and the Sumpters. We're called to follow these people who are walking according to the Word of God. We're called to make our calling and, and election more sure. And so what we do is we love the truth and we teach the truth and we walk according to it. And, and God tells Joshua, He says this, You and I, be strong and courageous, Joshua. This is what God says to him as he takes over the mantle for Moses. You be strong and courageous. You must not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. You must meditate on it day and night. And you will be prosperous if you do this. And you will not be hoodwinked by these antinomians. That is what we need to do. Be in the Word. Be with those people on the highway. Second, could it be that you're an antinomian? I hope nobody hears that. I hope nobody's an antinomian. But what are people reading when they see you? Think about these characteristics. Am I destined for destruction? 
Is Jesus my master or is my belly my master? Think about it. Am I glorying in the Ten Commandments and glorying in my relationship to God and pleasing God as I walk with Him on this highway or am I glorying in my shame? Am I trying to write out new rules so that I can glory in the things that are sinful? Where is my mind at? Am I setting my mind on the things above or am I setting my mind on earthly things? Have you found yourself an enemy of Jesus Christ? That's what the antinomian is. Are you realizing as we think about this that something's terribly wrong in you? I've pastor, you know, I could hear somebody say, Pastor, Pastor, listen, I'm not an enemy of Jesus. I mean, I don't curse, I don't take his name in vain. I'm just going real slow when it comes to that submission part. I'm I'm just going slow on that part. I'm just I wrote down in my notes, I'm just hemming and hawing. Do y'all ever heard that statement before? I'm just hemming and hawing. I'm just gonna procrastinate. But Jesus says everybody who procrastinates about him. Being their him being their your master, he says you're an enemy. But pastor, that just I, I just don't I just don't want to go on and agree with you on that. I know, I know we're not really good at at diagnosing our own spiritual condition. You know, a few years ago I stood in front of a church. I remember this. I stood in front of a church. I think it was 2013, and I told everybody on Sunday night the crowd. I said, "Man, I feel so good." Next day I went to the doctor, and he told me I had pneumonia. I'm really good at diagnosing my own physical health. Folks, sometimes we're not good at diagnosing where we are with Jesus. Sometimes I feel because I don't hate Jesus, I don't curse Jesus, I don't take His name in vain, that I'm not His enemy. But if I will not, to use Psalm 2, if I will not submit to Him, if I will not kiss His feet, I'm His enemy. Am I an enemy? Will I admit it? Will I come to Him? He says He came from heaven to earth to be broken and destroyed for us. So that we might, listen, so that we might um, not go through destruction, but we might go to heaven. So that we might not glory in our shame, but glory in the cross. So that you and I might set our minds on things above and not on the things that are on the earth. Surely if I reject so great a salvation when I know the truth now, Surely if I keep calling good evil and evil good. Surely if I do this when my eyes are opened. I'm an enemy. If I will not receive Jesus Christ. Don't we hear so much today. Don't be on the wrong side of history. Have you ever heard that statement? Don't be on the wrong side of history. Well, don't spend one more minute today. On the wrong side of Jesus Christ. Come to Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for uh, this time to be with one another. We thank You for each person here. We thank You for teaching us about the Christian highway. We thank You for faith in Jesus Christ. We thank You for the grace of it. We thank You for uh, our acceptance and a declaration made, an act on Your part toward us. We thank You that in union with You that we live in obedience in a sanctification where we put sin to death and we live for righteousness and we praise you that ultimately one day we'll end in glory. We pray that we might turn away from bad examples, those who are professing faith in Jesus Christ and falling into this uh, this side ditch called antinomianism. 
And Father, we pray that we might be those who set our minds on things above. We pray for anybody who's struggling, that they might always keep their faith in Jesus Christ, even in these difficult days. Father, thank you for for this nudge. Thank you for this push that we've heard from your word. And help us all to be on the highway as we leave today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.